Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're human. You have to grieve your baby's loss right now. But in time, years from now, you let me know what you did with your life because she was here. And and that is what I, I hear from parents. Amazing, incredible stories. This week on the podcast, we are joined by Breed Shine, who is a midwife specialist in perinative palliative care and bereavement. And um, to say we learned a lot in this episode, I think would be an understatement. Yeah, I mean, we both have kids. Yeah. A lot of people listening will have had kids. They know the um, huge emotion mm. and also... The nervousness you go to, I think you get a little better mm. <laughs> the more times you're pregnant, but the nervousness you go to, especially the first time of about will everything when you go to the big scan be mm. OK? And as Bree tells us, most parents go into it as to die. Will we find out or not? Whereas what yeah. the, your um, um, doctors are looking at are whether everything's OK mm. with the baby. And she talks a lot about the heartbreak of having to tell particularly a mother, that mm. the baby isn't viable and how the process then works from that moment to when the baby is born and what happens mm. afterwards. And um, we also talk a little bit about for midwives, how difficult that must be to be in a ward, which should have been full of excitement and expectation mm. that's actually just... They're very difficult. They're being be. witness mm. and helping deliver one of the saddest... saddest mm things can anybody can have, human, have, yeah. have to go through. Um, I was really, really struck by how many different things are in place to help families going through this. I did, I wouldn't have known mm. um, that there was an entire process and a very well thought through process here in Ireland as to how these situations are handled um, and how thought through and how researched it is from, from coming in when you're being induced to whether or not you will hold your baby afterwards and what that can do for families. Um, but also the process afterwards, for years afterwards, and what the effect that it has and what the child means to the families years later. Um, so it's a difficult conversation. I will. We, I think we should flag that um, because obviously it's a very hard thing to go, to go through for anyone who has experienced stillbirth or losing a baby in those few weeks after they've been born. But um, it's a very worthwhile conversation and something I think we'll take a lot away from. Shine is a midwife specialist in perinatal loss, something she's been involved with for the past 10 years. And we're delighted to be joined in studio by her to speak about her experiences in caring for patients who suffer a perinatal death in pregnancy. Breed, you're very welcome. Thank you. 
Thank First you. of all, can you tell us what is perinatal loss? So I suppose the broad category is we have early pregnancy loss, like miscarriage, ectopic um, loss within a multiple pregnancy. Perinatal death then is um, a stillbirth, which is defined over 500 grams or 24 weeks and over in gestation. And neonatal deaths, the death of a baby within the first week of life or the first month of life mm. early and late. Um, those would be the categories and I guess within maternity services although it's very rare we also come across mothers who may have had um, a sudden infant death um, the old term of the cot death so Mm. the death of a baby at any gestation um, to couples or to to mums is just devastating and it's really a profound loss and I've worked in adult bereavement and I'm not minimising that in any way when we lose somebody we love um, we have to grieve their physical absence in their lives but there's something immensely profound when a baby dies and it's referred to in the literature as perspective grieving when an adult dies we celebrate the life they've lived but when a baby dies parents grieve all that could have been and should have been Mm. Um, with all the 3d 4d scans that are available to us now generally in pregnancy we know how it's going we know how the baby's developing what percentage of people would know their baby isn't mm -hmm. going to be breathing when they give birth so um I guess that, yes, there's been huge development in in fetal medicine and I guess the big scan, what most couples call the big scan at 20 weeks is referred to in our hospital as the anatomy scan because we want to know the structure of the baby. Most couples arrive um, into that anatomy scan, you know, debating in the car on the way in, will we find out Mm -hmm. as a boy or a girl? (laughs) And they've no idea that the whole idea of the big anatomy scan is to identify anomalies. Mm. Um, So I can't give you the exact percentages of Mm. those, but for almost every thousand babies that are born in in Ireland, about six will die. Um, So that would be the percentage um, that we would we would look at. So so many of our families who come in um, who for whom there is a structural abnormality or or something picked up on scan will have invasive testing and they may be advised that their baby has what we term a life limiting condition um, and they then get supported um, in making deci- difficult decisions um, to either carry that baby with a supportive palliative specialist palliative care or to end the pregnancy early if it's a life limiting condition. Um, but but the pain of the grief is the same no matter what the journey is um, it's the it's the loss of a much longed for loved baby and um, there's no easy route to to it and can we talk about anticipatory grief then because that's something that we just mentioned a little bit when you came in um, when you do know that something is going to happen or you're you're waiting for something that's a very difficult process yeah, for families I, I guess for my work in maternity hospitals I I think there's no easy way to lose a baby But my experience is that families who are diagnosed at 20 weeks with a baby who may either die in the womb or die soon after being born, they have a chance to prepare. They're as devastated as everybody else, but they get a chance to prepare. We, We see them coming from this closed 
bud to flowering almost before this baby arrives because they have had a chance to prepare. They're frightened of us initially. They're mm-hmm. frightened of att- forming attachment to this little baby. Um, and over time, as we storytell, as we give them examples, as we engage with them into a trusting relationship and they begin to share their fears and we have the ability to kind of explore those in a compassionate, therapeutic way, we can help bring them to places that they never imagined that they would have been mm-hmm. brought to. Um, so the anticipatory work does help parents a lot. That does not minimise the pain of the grief when that baby passes over. But sometimes the experience um, is more healing. Mm. On the other hand, I also work with parents who arrive in um, maybe late in their pregnancy and unsuspectingly are told without any warning, having had a normal anatomy scan, healthy pregnancy um, and no complications and are told that there's no heartbeat. Their baby's heart has stopped beating. And that to me on the scale of continuum of losses is the Richter scale. You know, a full term stillbirth is... Perhaps in truth, beyond words, the the impact of hearing that. And I guess over the years, I've, I've begun to see that a mother's immediate response is to go quiet and internalizing all of the doubts and fears. A mother will always feel responsible for her baby. Her body is holding this baby, growing the baby in the womb. And when something as devastating as that goes wrong, Um, while her partner might be expressively asking questions and the mother just retreats inward and you can almost hear her doubting herself. Mm. Should I have come to the hospital sooner? Mm. Um, You know, and we ask, medical team will ask questions. When did you last feel the baby move? And then the mother starts to get paranoid that she should have come sooner. It's Mm. really, really important. If I got no other message across to you today, but the fact is when stillbirth happens, it happens in seconds. Mm. And the moment the mother is at home and notices um, that there are reduced or no further movements from her baby, the baby has most likely already passed. Um, So we try and help mothers I suppose, understand the physiology of that, that the baby doesn't suffer in the womb. Of course, post-mortem reports tell us the physiological changes of in utero stress, but we try and help mothers understand that the moment the blood supply, for whatever reason, stops going to the baby, then the baby slips into an unconscious state and dies in his sleep. And that's why in a lot of the, I suppose, in graveyards, you'll often see on the headstone, born sleeping. Mm-hmm. So their little baby did not suffer um, and and the mother was not responsible. It's really, really important. Mothers, bereaved mothers, and I'm not minimising the pain of grief for bereaved dads, but bereaved mothers very much internalised. Mm. Did I do enough for my mm. baby? Did my body let the baby down yeah. in some way? And so sometimes having an understanding, sometimes we can explain to a mother there was a problem with the placenta or she had a clotting disorder or there was a rare infection. But 20%, 15 to 20% of stillbirths in Ireland are unexplained. So it's almost like a cot death in the womb. So if there's no explanation, the guilt gets Immense. poured mm. on. And yeah. But at that point as well, you know, I know after having three kids myself that your your emotions are all over the place, your hormones are all over the place. Mm. So it must take quite a while to reach for those to settle down and then to process yeah. what you're saying 
to somebody who's just the mother hasn't even delivered yet so the emotions and the hormones are still to come Mm. in that moment of diagnosis of stillbirth I can even feel myself getting emotional talking about it but the the felt sense of energy is one of tremendous shock adrenaline fuels their body they go into survival mode some run and scream some freeze um, some faint, some collapse. Um, there is a lot of trauma in that moment. And um, and the yes, in the aftermath of giving birth, you have the same physiology of hormonal changes and emotional vulnerability, but predominant in that mother's body, mind, psyche, um, psychology is the bereft, the shock um, and the grief to come. Mm. Yeah, I know a lot of people are choosing now to maybe spend some time with that baby after. Oh, very much, very Um, much so. And I feel like, I don't know if we're just seeing it more, I don't know if that practice has always kind of been an option for people. Well, no, 50 years Mm. ago, the the baby was taken away from the mothers and, and... and again, like having looked at the history of, of perinatal loss in Ireland and having maybe met older women at the end of life. And in fact, I remember meeting an old midwife at the end of life. And she said to me on this subject from her own deathbed, she said, I suppose we thought we were doing right. We used to take the babies away, not to be upsetting the mammies. Mm. So it was a misunderstanding. And when you look too at the history of grief, a um, hundred years ago, Freud used to say that in order to recover from from the death of a loved one, you have to cut ties and move on with your life. And that was reflective in the care practices. Mm. Now, thanks to Dennis Class, a wonderful grief theorist who's researched around the impact of um, perinatal death for parents, he has helped us understand that parents have a bond with their baby that they will have until the day they die. And placing emphasis on that bond is important. And that's why all of our hospital care practices have changed. The introduction of memory making, spending time with their baby. Um, you know, I, I, I really describe for parents when they come in for that dreaded induction and it takes huge courage for parents to walk in the door to be induced when their baby is, is stillborn. Um, I consider it in my own head in three phases the phase of getting through the door for admission and waiting for the labour pains to start that to me and waiting for the delivery is heightened anxiety mm. when the baby's actually here there's there's an immense tenderness in the labour ward room the moment that baby is born there's immense grief mm. but there's huge tenderness when they get to see and hold their baby for the first time there's an energy in the room that I that's palpable it's felt by the midwife who's present at the delivery any of our team that are there the parents it's like you could hear a pin drop in the room there's obviously the pain of the silence there's no cry but there's immense tenderness and something softens in the parents in the aftermath of the initial outburst as they begin to engage with their little baby and say she has her dad's big feet or you know all of those little um, I suppose engagements help parents to become less frightened before the baby's born they're absolutely terrified Mm. if you look at the research and you ask 100% of parents facing an induction for stillbirth would you like to see and hold your baby most of them will back off and be terrified I'm not sure I don't know so what we have learned in maternity hospitals is say to them you won't know now but in the moment of birth you indicate to the midwife whether you are ready to receive and hold your baby straight away or whether you just say to her can you give me a few minutes 
and there is no judgment around either mm. one of them and we say that to parents we say you might immediately want to see the baby straight away and dad mightn't and there must be no judgment of that mm. and we allow parents to come at it in their own pace what midwives do really well in the labour ward is they role model that tenderness because they are talking to the baby and they're helping to dress the baby with the parent's support and suddenly something that's really not normal is beginning to normalise and parents are less scared when the baby's actually here because to be fair sometimes babies' conditions that are born in stillbirth can be difficult some of them can come out looking absolutely sweet and perfect and others because they've been in the bag of fluid for maybe mm. a little bit longer than expected can have a pull of skin uh, we, we give a warning shot to the parents but as soon as that is done then parents don't see that anymore mm. um, so there's so there's that phase of waiting for the delivery to happen that's when fears are at their highest level and then the tenderness the spending time with their baby in the cuddle cot at the bedside thanks to the voluntary agencies the visiting of family, the rituals provided by healthcare chaplains, the, the naming and blessing service, the introduction of siblings and family photographs, thanks to Nilmets. And then there's the third phase. They're cocooned in that middle phase and parents often use that term. We're cocooned here. We're dreading the next step. And the next step is the preparation for funeral ritual and leaving the hospital mm. where they have felt safe because they're hidden away in a room with a sign that says end of life care issue happening here symbolically with the Celtic symbol and they're cocooned in there with love and compassion from everybody family, friends, staff that look after them but the preparation to go home is huge and many of our parents will bring their baby home um, the night oh, before the burial well. yeah. yeah at a big international um perinatal loss conference in Texas they were really amazed at this um, and I guess it probably stems from the old Celtic origin and the rich history and heritage we have around care of the dying. Mm -hmm. So some of our American um, colleagues would have said oh my god is that like the Irish wake and in a way it is now not everybody can bring their baby home not everybody is in a permanent home not everybody has the social circumstances mm. to do that in which case we would give them an extra night to cocoon in the hospital or with a friend or wherever they feel safe. But I often say to parents, you're robbed of so much, but to be able to bring your baby and the energy of your mm. baby home. Um, I know that we had a couple from Kerry and they wanted to bring their baby home and they were contemplating bringing the baby straight um, for burial. And in fact, with encouragement, they chose to bring their baby home and dad was a farmer and he said to me afterwards it was one of their best decisions and I said how did it go he said it went lovely I brought my baby boy up around the farm I walked him oh. around and now every day when I'm out in the tractor I'm chatting away to him I'm telling him um, what's going on in, in at home and I feel a sense of connection to him and again that's the purpose of all of our memory making is to increase their sense of bond to that child um, and then obviously the very difficult end piece is um, laying the baby's body to rest, the physical shell of the baby being laid to rest or cremated in whatever, you know. And rituals help us, you know, at a time of loss, we don't know what to do. Gathering of families, having beautiful music, thought and heart going into a little service of many traditions or of none. 
um, mm. poetry and music very healing at that time. Um, and the strength comes from another world to help parents do the hardest thing in the world um, to, to let their baby go. And the late philosopher John O'Donoghue has a beautiful poem on the death of a child. And he's, you know, standing at a grave where, you know, no parent should ever be. And yet the end of his poem says, you know, may you come to see um, this eternal child who parents your heart. Um, so it's almost like the parents wanted to parent the child mm. and rather instead the spirit of this baby is now going to parent the broken hearts. And the last line of it, and who persuades the moon to send new gifts ashore. And so there's that sense of offering hope. Mm. Um, and, and all young couples, first or fifth pregnancy, have this innate longing to hold a baby when they've lost a baby. Mm. It's not always possible um, for a variety of reasons that might not be possible, but the vast majority, I think it's actually a very primitive longing, particularly for the mother, to long to hold another baby when she has lost a baby. And we try and curb that for a while so there's a, a, an opportunity in a period of time to grieve um, and, and allowing healing and finding a, a sense of connection. We call it the relocation of the deceased in grief um, languaging. Finding a sense of connection to that baby for the mother's psyche before she embarks on a new pregnancy so that she has a healthier attachment mm. to her next child and there's none of the other projected on mm. to that beautiful, what we term the rainbow baby that comes after. Can I ask you about, obviously we've talked about the parents, um, in this situation where uh, uh, a baby is going to be induced mm. um, and there's midwives and there's other people in the room when the baby, what support do they get? Because it can't be easy going, mm. oh, I'm going into work tomorrow morning and mm. this is actually what I'm going to be doing. And that's a really lovely human question. And I think um, I think it's it's an important question. In 2016, we launched national bereavement standards for Ireland's maternity hospitals that was f- divided into four categories, care of the baby, the hospital, parents. And then the third category was staff care. And I think, you know, people are human. Um, it's an opportunity for parents um, to see the humanity that's in healthcare that we never hear about. Um, there is no midwife that goes into a delivery of a stillborn baby that comes out without a dry eye. There is no medical doctor that presents himself at a delivery of a baby who we know is going to live for a short time that doesn't get impacted. Even the biggest powerhouses that we know in our maternity hospitals you see them be humbled by the experience. So I think historically, midwives always, um, unlike other disciplines, you know, those of us who work in bereavement specialist roles, clinical psychology, social work, they all have formal structured clinical supervision. Nursing and midwifery lacks that. So historically, um, nurses and midwives seek their support through peer support. They will come out and the manager on call will ask them how it went, ask them are okay. You know, they might give one another a hug and they might debrief before they go off shift. Um, They will go and visit the mother the following day. They'll go up to the to the gynae ward to see her um, and they may attend some of the remembrance services and meet those parents again. And it's really interesting because though we ship out thousands of wild babies and midwives in labour wards are really, really busy. It's just really our maternity hospitals were not built for the thousands of deliveries that are happening. Mm. But at the end of the year, when you ask a doctor or a midwife in a maternity, 
who are the babies you remember? They'll say, oh my God, do you remember the baby that was stillborn in the assessment? Mm. Do you remember the... Ba-? And then somebody else will say, oh, the little baby that's in the unit or the big baby with the cardiac condition. Do you remember that little baby boy? He was so beautiful. That was so devastating. So ironically, the babies who stay longest in our memories barely touch this earth. Mm. And midwives never remember the healthy, well babies that they send out the door. Mm. Isn't it funny? I mean, the one thing I find so remarkable, and I think if you've had a child and you've been you've experienced any midwife care, is there's like a really unique um, well of empathy Mm. that is very unusual in the world. I think you run into a lot of... um, compassion, fatigue and different mm-hmm. things like that with people, especially where grief is concerned. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who are grieving, eventually their friends, their family might kind of run into this, okay, we've had enough. Mm-hmm. But it seems like midwives, there's almost this endless supply. No, and uh, Sadly, midwives do burn out. Yeah. And in the current healthcare daily grind of a healthcare system, um, we have bleeding staff members mm. but if you look at the term midwife it is comes from the Greek word with woman and midwives who enter into that arena are drawn mm. they're drawn to something and to be honest even though it's many years now since I worked in the labour ward there is it's just like being present at death you know to be present at a birth the hairs stand in the back mm. of your neck you never quite lose that sense and in, in a way because I've worked with people who have died and people who have been born, it's the same feeling because we're actually in contact with that other world. And most people in midwifery, whether they're conscious of it or not, are drawn to that spirit world. You know, there's a connection there that gives them a sense of being otherworldly and there's a sense of doing meaningful work. And any of us who can find meaning in our work, it's important. When uh, again, John O'Donoghue would say in his writings that when we reduce people to a functionary role at work, we dehumanise them. You cannot do that because in midwifery it's about life and death. And in a labour ward setting, midwives' hearts are in their mouth till that baby's out mm. safe and the mother is safe. They carry a lot of responsibility. But the reward is rich. You know, in, in my earlier training days in the early 90s, we used to spend lots of time lauding after the birth and you'd spend you'd get in the teen toast and you'd chat and you'd reflect to the mom how was the delivery mm. and remember when you came in and you were so distressed and then she'd apologise for breaking you and <laughs> giving out to you and how she cleared her husband out and yeah. all of that was reflected mm. now in our maternity hospitals it's like get them out mm. we have another lady on the induction list get in and I, I regret that for midwives and I would hate to think that they would ever lose the um suppose it brings up the concept of, you know, birth doulas and death doulas. So they have a wonderful emotional connection with the mother. But I would hate to ever think as midwives that we would become obstetric nurses and lose the human connection piece because that is what sustains us, that you can meet random strangers, be present at their baby's birth, hug them and hold them in your Mm. heart, you know, and be a part of them. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Because there is a huge connection, I I always Huge. think, between, I mean, I'm still in touch with um, my midwife. Wow. Um, and on Facebook, actually, and I was very, mm. uh, loved my, my gynecologist as well. And there's a huge connection. And mm. like, I think afterwards, it's like, whether they remember you or not, because mm. it's sort of but a lot you of remember you. for the for the rest of your life, <laughs> absolutely, and they're yeah. a very very important person. Yeah, because deep human connections unfold. Mm. We have present moment experiences with human beings in a threshold between life and birth, life and death. We are at the threshold, and you can look at somebody in the eye in those moments and share something that we don't have words for. We can't articulate what we experience, but we're bonded. Mm. And you could walk into a shopping centre 10 years later and bump into somebody <laughs> and go, oh my, oh God, my goodness, I remember baby Liam and he was still oh, born yeah. and he was this and he was that. And you lived here and you and then I'm like, um, remind me of your name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so you remember so many. Yeah, you remember the baby that you dressed who was warm still and and the tenderness mm. of that and, and the poignancy of it. But remembering is the most important thing for bereaved parents. Mm. Permission to name their baby, permission to have that baby always acknowledged as part of the family. One of the questions that people randomly get asked when they're away on holidays, they're out, is it just the two you have? It's the dreaded yeah. question in the it's, early yeah, walking stage. I was going to ask you about that mm. because we've talked a lot about other people's reaction mm. to grief and mm. how other people react to your grief, what they mm. say. I mean, so, so I'd the have at a least yeah. conversation mm. that... I, mm. I would have a mantra with parents mm. that I would say, when that happens again, she'd say, I buried myself and I just ran out of the shop and mm. I didn't mention baby Emily or baby, mm. who, you know. And I say, well, the next time that happens, just say, actually... That's a difficult question. So you're, in other words, you're giving them a warning shot. Mm. That's a difficult question. I have the two little boys here, but I also had a little girl who died around the time of birth and her name is mm. Caitlin or whoever. Mm. But I'm not able to talk about it. Mm. But thank you for asking. So in other words, you're putting the hand up saying, I'm not able to talk about it. So don't excavate my whole grief here yeah. on the side of the shopping centre. But I centre. appreciate you but, asking. But it's almost like, but I'm minding you by saying, but thank you for mm. asking as if like, you know, You've mentioned something I wanted to talk mm. about. And sometimes children, you know, children are wonderful because the mother might just want to get through. Mm. And randomly kids will say things that just, you know, a, a mother and a kid were buying a card one day and they get as far as the till. And the child says, um, I have a baby brother in heaven. He died. Mm. Mm. And the, the kids mother, do do yeah, that. which is wonderful. <laughs> they may, yeah, yeah, they they are Cut refreshing. Yeah. Mm. You see, children say it just as it mm. is, 
And I really love children for that. And children are very intuitive Mm. and children feel everything. And under the age of seven, children are very connected to that other world. More so than children after the age of seven who are very much their separate selves. But younger, small children, I remember a mother saying to me, she rang, she was really worried about her child. She wanted to come and have a session. And when we got to the nuts and bolts of it, she said, at three o'clock in the morning, my little girl came in holding her little teddy, strolled into the bedroom, gave me a kiss and said, baby Tig said to give you that and walked back into bed and fell asleep. And the mother was awake for the rest of the night, yeah. worrying that she had traumatised her child. Yeah. But actually it was lovely. It was lovely. And it's a, I said to her, it's a lovely story to tell your little girl yeah. when she's older that, you know, and they say that when we when we sleep and we dream, we connect. Um, the etheric body connects with the people in the other world. So it's not surprising then that Often grief is processed through mm. dream work, um, and and so children. It's funny the stuff they come out with. My three-year-old a couple of weeks ago said, "Just grab my face," and she said, "I'll always be with you, mommy." <laughs> <laughs> and I had to do everything to kind of pull it together. Mm. She's just like you know. So they can recognize the vulnerability. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. something yeah. so like they can read the energy body. Something maybe yeah. yeah they can read the energy body. Children are deeply compassionate. We talked about compassion, compassion fatigue, yeah. fatigue, but remember, part of my training was we watched a video of um, an 18-month-old baby with its mom in a waiting room, and a random stranger, which was an actor, arrived in and started to cry, and the 18-month-old toddled on over Mm. and looked inquiringly so Mm. we are born as human beings we have Mm. compassion is innate in all of Mm. us as human beings and sometimes we can tire of empathy and we can tire of being empathic Mm. if you've been empathic all day at work it's hard to kind of muster it up if there's a crisis at home when you get there but it's just that sense as human beings compassion is innate in all of us and I suppose going back to our midwives is reminding them of their good hearts mm. you know mm. how is your good heart today and they might laugh mm. you know and then you're stressed one day and they say the same to you how's mm. your good heart today but oh gosh <laughs> you know <laughs> so so reminding ourselves of that sense of common humanity and mm. um, reminding ourselves of our innate goodness we come into work to do good sometimes things go wrong and people need to have um Families need their care reviewed. That brings up a lot of stress for healthcare professionals. Um, and and I suppose debriefing sessions, reflective practice. Um, I would run self-compassion and meditation workshops for our healthcare staff at times. So all of that helps to support, but ultimately for midwives is the peer support. And is that mirror in terms of um, the end of life for older, for, for you know, is it, is it kind of a similar process, birth and death, in the sense that when you kind of are looking at patients who are older or people who are older and there, there are similarities to all of these experiences, yeah. um, are the staff cared for in a similar, is it a different kind of process, do you know? No, I, I, think, I think it's same across okay. the both, but the experience of birth, to be present at birth, and to be present at death yeah. is very familiar. Mm. I worked for a period of time as a night nurse with the Irish mm. Cancer Society, so sitting with people who were dying in their own home. And in the quiet of night, a son or daughter might say, do you think he has long mourners? And in the labour ward, when the mother has an epidural and it's three in the morning and you're listening <laughs> to the pulsation of the heartbeat and the dad leans over while mommy is snoozing and says, do you think it'll long be, be long mourners? Mm. And the answer same is always question. the same. And when I trained many years ago in the rotunda, there was an old um, midwife 
from ancient times. <laughs> and she used to say to us as young midwives, when the apple is ripe, it will fall. And it's the same for birth and it's the same at death. We have to understand the planets align. The right people are called to be present and the spirit of that baby is brought right into that body as soon as it takes its first breath. It's the same at the deathbed. And so when the body, when the soul has maybe perhaps let go attachments to this world and transitioned into that state of being and can, I suppose, transcend the body um, and go off into that other world, it's it's the same feeling that's in the room. Hairs stand on the back of your neck and you're bearing witness and you're in contact with that other world. And that's why there are some of us in this world absolutely addicted to birth and death. Mm-hmm. And who can blame us? They're the two transitionary stages of mm-hmm. life. Death is not the opposite of life. I believe that we have other existences and so at birth and death you're very connected to something much bigger and I think the lens through which we look at life is very narrow often there's something much bigger happening in somebody's life I see that in my work with bereaved parents over the years they begin to find meaning in their loss some you know a dad might say well we don't sweat the small stuff anymore and I say well you know what isn't that legacy enough for Mm. baby Amy to have come sometimes it may be ancestral they might be releasing something Um, these are not the type of conversations you would have now in an obstetric meeting but you know when you reflect with parents over the years and you plant that seed of hope that their child's life had a purpose and often you see that in the work that you see voluntary agencies do you know work like Felicon all of those bereaved parents have come together out of their own grief Mm. you know you're doing this podcast out of our own experiences Mm. and so altruistic work arises out of it we find meaning in our loss um, and then we understand that there was a bigger picture happening that we can't see at the time mm-hmm. and just to sow that seed and to trust that that life will come good again and parents do come from it it takes a long time and they will grieve till the day they die who that child might have been and yet I would say that people do heal from it and become who they're meant to be in this world because that child touched their life I think you have just for the first time been able to say something that I've been trying to say since we started this podcast, which is finding meaning in your loss. Mm. And I've said it a million times in wrong, the wrong way Mm -hmm. in sort of saying um, like this kind of you evolve into a different kind of person Mm. through the grief. Utterly by the experience. That's what's the lonely thing of grief is you are no longer yourself. But I think that's what attracts you also to other people going through the Mm. same grief and that helps you also find meaning because that person, you know that person's looking for the same thing. And and that's what's called um, a spiritual crisis. And that is always the invitation when loss touches our life. It is always an invitation to grow. None of us would put our hand up and say, I'll take something for my spiritual no. growth. We never do that willingly. <laughs> but that is always the invitation mm. when that comes. And, and then you're separated from normal other people and you go on your own quest and your own search. Sogyal Rinpoche, a Tibetan lama who wrote the book of Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, he says, loss, frustration, grief, all sent to us to spurn us onto the path we were meant to, that we were predestined to live. 
So we don't recognise that at the time. And it's hard to ask anybody in the immediate aftermath of a major bereavement. You must find meaning because that era of positive psychology, I really don't have much time for. But to be able to say that you're human, you have to grieve your baby's loss right now. But in time, years from now, you let me know what you did with your life because she was here. Mm. And and that is what I, I hear from parents. Amazing, incredible stories. Um, and their sense of connection to that baby. You know, I had a mum many years ago who, who lost her first baby to stillbirth. And, um, and I met her three children later um, in the role that I'm in now. And I said it to her and we had a coffee and we chatted. And she said, um, you know, there are moments and I... I'm so busy now with all the three kids, but there are moments when an overwhelming sense of peace comes over me and I know that it's Liam, her baby. And I mm. just thought, wow. And again, John O'Donoghue, the philosopher, would say that um, there's a turning point in grief when we stop feeling someone's absence and we get a sense of their presence. And that's a real turning point. Yeah, that's a real turning point to have a sense of connection, to have the ongoing conversation, to have you know, a connection to that other world. And none of us would ever contemplate that other world until we lose somebody we love in it. Mm. Otherwise, we're caught up in this mundane, materialistic world. And then your life utterly changes when somebody and you go on this quest to seek deeper answers. You seek truth. You find a deeper meaning in life. And the analogy I often use is, you know, we grow up, we have our understanding of life and our spiritual beliefs. But when loss like that hits your life it's like you're a tree and you're pulled up out of the earth totally ungrounded and you don't know there's no foundations in your life anymore you what you once believed in makes no sense to you anymore and by the time you heal and navigate your way through the grief you will reroot that tree in richer soil in higher ground and the roots go down with much deeper foundation and you have arrived then as you were meant to be this more wiser person wish we didn't have to become wiser (laughs) but it's part of the human existence as we come into this earth to learn life lessons to evolve and grow until such time as we no longer need to come in and I often think that's what these babies are about they're so pure in spirit they don't need to come in to learn life lessons like you and I they're coming in to release something Mm. in their mum or dad or family or ancestral line thank you so much thank you Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.